This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. 50 million Americans today have come to believe the apocalypse will take place in their own lifetimes, that Jesus will snatch up his followers and spirit them to heaven, leaving the rest of us to face massive earthquakes, devastating wars, not to mention the terrifying rise of the Antichrist. In his new book, Have a Nice Doomsday, Why Millions of Americans Are Looking Forward to the End of the World, our guest today, Nicholas Gayat, looks at how Armageddonists and eschatologists are getting involved in debates over abortion, gay rights, and even foreign policy. Born and brought up in the UK, Gayat spent seven years in the US, first as a PhD student at Princeton and then as a lecturer at that university's Department of History. He's also the author of Another American Century and a regular contributor to the London Review of Books. Nicholas Gayat, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hi there, good morning. How are you today? I'm very well, I'm very well. I'm over here in England, so it's the late afternoon over here. But, I was going to um, say. It's reasonably sunny, probably not as sunny as for you, and we're, yeah. we're very happy. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for recognizing our morning on this end, too. Uh, so t- how, how does a, a guy uh, like you at Princeton get involved in, and write a book about, uh, about the darker side of America? Well, I, I started out writing a thesis. I, I went to university in England, and then I decided to go across to America to do my PhD because I was I'd become an American historian, so I do U.S. history. Um, I was doing my thesis on manifest destiny, um, and I guess probably all of your listeners know about that. But mm-hmm. you know, this idea, especially in the 19th century, that God kind of has a special plan for America. You know, wants America to get bigger and be more successful and spread its influence around the world. And it was weird, because I started off this PhD in, I guess, 97, 98. And that was around the time that I began to read in the newspapers about the success of this book series called The Left Behind Books. And again, maybe some of your listeners know about those already, but they're these books by apocalyptic Christians, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And it's kind of like uh, the prophecies in the Bible meets Tom Clancy. Like this kind of fictional version of how the, war, the world would come to an end, but written from this kind of, you know, Armageddonist perspective. And they just were doing incredibly well. And I just couldn't work it out. You know, why should it be that Christians today in America believe so fervently that the dark times are coming, you know, the end of the world is coming, whereas in the 19th century, it was kind of the opposite view. You know, like God had a bright future for America and a bright future for the world. So I kind of got into that question and thought, well, why is it? that things have gotten so gloomy. And um, when I finished the PhD and I finished turning it into a book, I thought I'd take some time off and try and write this other book about contemporary Christians and you know, their much more pessimistic view of Christianity and, uh, and the end of the world. Go ahead, Mike. No, I just wanted to say, let's, let's uh, give the perspective on this. These books have sold not a few hundred thousand. They've sold millions of copies. Do we have a, a, a general number here of how many? Yeah, 60... Five million. Uh, now, in fairness, I should say there are about sixteen books in the series. <laughs> so, you know, but divide sixty-five million by sixteen, and you know, you're still doing better sales than I'll ever do. I mean, these are really impressively successful books. These are three or four million uh, copies, four million plus per per, yeah. per edition. And the series 
been going since 95, and it's, I think it just ended. Whenever you think it's ended, they start writing another one. They, you know, they, they just wrote a book after all of this end-of-the-world stuff, when the millennium has begun. So I don't know, they may carry on milking it and carry on writing books, you know, one for every year of the millennium. Yeah. I know. yeah. Well, how, how, many, how many ways can you end a world that are biblically pro- prophesized? I mean, it, apparently there are many ways, right? Well, that depends who you are. I mean, if you're a scholar, then you could argue about this stuff, you know, forever. I mean, there's no clear scheme in the Bible. And I mean, one of the problems is, if you think about the Bible, there are tons of different books of prophecy. There's not just one. Right. You know, there's the book of Revelation that we've kind of all heard of, I guess. But that's not the only one. There's the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, all these books, all these different prophecies. And the thing is, how do you put them all together? Now, today's apocalyptic Christians in the U.S. largely rely on a scheme for kind of bringing all these different books of the Bible together. It was actually invented by an Englishman, this guy called John Nelson Darby, who was one of the first big, you know, like a kind of Billy Graham televangelist, you know, one of those people today in the last 30 or 40 years in America. Darby was the kind of 19th century equivalent, so he'd travel across the U.S. preaching. And he managed to come up with a scheme that put all the prophecies together into a single timeline. Mm. And weirdly, it's that timeline that people like Tim LaHaye or John Hagee or, you know, or Pat Robertson or these kind of today's people who are interested in the apocalypse, they've all bought into that. So, I mean, to answer your question directly, there are tons of ways you can slice up the end of the world. There are tons of ways it might happen. But these people are quite disciplined about the scheme that they've latched onto. Now, now, just r- real quickly, does um, um, the book of Revelations is the w- one book where they tend to rely heavily on the prophecies for the end of the world. Is that correct? Well, it is. It, it's, an inter- it, it's entirely prophecy. I mean, the best way to think about the Bible is most of it's history, right? Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to be describing stuff that's already happened. So you've got the Old Testament, and you've got the New Testament. Again, mostly history. But there are some books which write down in the same kind of way. It's exactly the same sort of writing, but what will happen, not what has happened. Mm-hmm. And those are the books of prophecy. Mm-hmm. So there are actually quite a few of them. I mean, there are more than a dozen books of prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's those books that these apocalyptic Christians have really latched onto. And Revelation's a big one, and that's the one where you get the scheme for the Antichrist and the 666 and, you know, all the stuff from the Omen. Right. All that stuff is in the book of Revelation. But there's also, very importantly, the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel, and they really matter to apocalyptic Christians because they talk a lot about Israel. And it's the state of Israel that's kind of at the middle of all of this obsession with the apocalypse. So, you know, that's not quite so pronounced in the book of Revelation, but it's in these other books of the Bible. We're talking with Nicholas Goyat, and the book is Have a Nice Doomsday. Now, wouldn't you say that the uh, affiliation with Israel right now and uh, apocalyptic Christians is the one thing that sets uh, this version of the end of the world apart from anything before it? Oh, yeah. I mean, in some respects, the re-founding of the state of Israel, the founding of Israel as a modern nation in 1948, was the catalyst for all of this. I mean, it was the kind of, you know, or the match that lit this apocalyptic flame. Because you remember I was telling you about this guy in the 19th century, John Nelson Darby. When he came over and preached all this stuff about the end of the world and the tribulation and the Antichrist, he actually said, you'll have to wait to see Israel restored before all this stuff begins. So in the 19th century, when today's evangelicals kind of took on this, it was put in their DNA 100 years ago, the idea that Israel would be refounded was quite fanciful, you know? I mean, it wasn't something that people were thinking was going to happen soon. 1948 changes everything. Mm. And that's the reason these guys are so obsessed with Israel, because they've gone through the book of Ezekiel, and they've interpreted one of the chapters from the book of Ezekiel to mean that um, the end of the world will happen 
within a lifetime of the refounding of Israel. Mm. Now, there's some sort of textual basis for that in Ezekiel. Again, scholars would argue, you know, there's nothing to do with modern Israel. It would be crazy to think it was, blah, blah, blah. But they see that as the one piece of evidence for the puzzle. So they've kind of built the jigsaw around Israel, and that's why they're so obsessed with Israel and have become more political in their obsessions in the past 10 or 15 years. So... No, it just says without this, the existence of the modern state of Israel, you'd still get these kinds of stories, though, because there is the biblical reference to the land of, of Canaan and Israel and all that, right? Yeah, but you, you wouldn't get the urgency. I mean, the thing okay. is, the Christian church, when it's looked at the prophecies for 2,000 years, has very often tended to treat the word Israel, where you see it pop up in the Bible and the prophecies, to treat it metaphorically. So to assume we're not talking about place, but we're talking about the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after the Jews supposedly rejected Christ, you know, and the Christians took on the sort of, you know, Christ cult and made it into their religion or whatever, the, uh, the Jews kind of forfeited their rights to the promises, and Israel became a symbol. And the symbol is of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. For years and years and years, for 2,000 years, that's been a common view of mainstream Christians. They've mm-hmm. even got a name for it. It's called replacement theology. The mm-hmm. Jews are replaced by the Christians. Mm-hmm. What Israel and the refounding of Israel in the, in the 20th century did was it suggested you shouldn't be a replacement Christian. When the Bible says Israel, it literally means that place, that bit of the world, that territory. So again, I mean, it sort of drives people kind of crazy. I mean, it turns these people into much more obsessive, much more fanatical, well, not just Christians, but also political people, because suddenly everything that happens in Israel may have something to do with, you know, these promises in the Bible about the end of the world, which is the most important thing, I guess, if you're a serious, literal Christian. So, so Israel is so tangled up in this. I mean, it's at the very center of what they believe and what they want to achieve politically. Now, how would you describe Tim LaHaye, the person? Not, not the person that's writing these books, but the, the, the personal person. The, you know, the, how, how does he live with himself knowing that he's uh, putting people like me into an uh, everlasting hell? I mean, the thing you have to, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do this book this way, I mean, there, I could have written this book on the basis of just reading these people's books or going to their websites or whatever, and then kind of telling you about them and from a liberal perspective, kind of warning you about them, because that's what the book is in a way, I guess it's kind of saying, keep an eye out for these guys, because some of the stuff they're doing is scary. But what I wanted to do instead was actually to go off and meet some of them, because that's kind of the question I had. What are they like in person? You know, are they these kind of crazed bigots? Are they super intolerant? You know, would they look at me as an outsider with real suspicion? You know, would I get into fights with them? You know, not literal fights, but would I get into arguments with them? And, you know, of course, what you realize is lots of them are totally charming. I mean, there are one or two I wouldn't put into that group. I mean, some of the more kind of um, politically minded of them are a bit scarier. But, I mean, Tim LaHaye, personally, very charming. The guy's like 82 now, I think, 81 or 82. Um, Very charming, still kind of has all of his marbles speaks in a very gentle way until you kind of push one of these buttons when he becomes a much kind of colder and harder character. So, you know, I mean, you push one of his theological buttons and suddenly it all comes rushing in. So I found lots of them. I mean, again, I suppose one of the things about the book that I think maybe makes it worth reading is the sense of what they're like as people. And many of them are quite kind of anguished because, you know, they're all super patriotic. They love the U.S., They love what America stands for, but they believe very soon there's going to be a seven-year period called the Tribulation in which the U.S. falls to pieces, and that's happening. That's what their faith is teaching them. So they're kind of going around every day holding on to this crazy bundle of contradictions about America and themselves and God, and, uh, you know, they they can seem quite tortured, but they're all super polite and they were very friendly to me. 
This is an aside. Is LaHaye, does he still actually write the books, or does he have like he a team of... He never read them. He, he never read them. He hired the sports writer guy, Jerry Jenkins, who got what must be like the ultimate ghostwriting gig, like the best ghostwriting gig in oh, history. Of all time. Because he writes these... He's, I mean, I guess he's not a ghost because he's on the title, but you know what I mean. I mean, he's yeah. the guy that actually does all the writing. So LaHaye's job is to make sure that, you know, Jenkins doesn't write something that's totally implausible. Right. But, you know, I mean, if you read these books, there is quite a lot of stuff in them that's implausible. I mean, you guys probably know, right, like SUVs traveling around the you know, Middle East kind of firing at uh, soldiers of the Antichrist. Or, uh, yeah. or, I mean, the book about the millennium, they just wrote the last, the last book they've written, uh, this fictional account of the millennium. There's really nothing. There's like four verses of the book of Revelation which refer to the millennium. It's a thousand years in four verses. They've gone off and cooked up this plot where during the millennium period, true believers turn against God, and of course they're French. You know, like, <laughs> oh, no. You, well, I, that gets to something. I, I, what's the, how far of a, of a leap do we go from, uh, from these sort of the doomsday uh, Christians to the dominionist, the reconstructionist, that sort of, uh, uh, you know who I'm talking about? The, yeah, uh, no, well, that, you know, that's, that's a great question, because, again, something I, I found out during, when I was doing the book, I mean, if you read some of the stuff that we've written, I mean, when I say we, I mean those of us who are more on the sort of liberal side of things, maybe more on the left, or, or just people who are you know, more secular in our thinking. When you read some of the stuff that's been written from that perspective, Chris Hedges' book, Michelle Goldberg's book, uh, Goldberg's book uh, Kevin Phillips' book, the last couple of years, you know, you get the impression that there's this takeover going on, right? That yeah. Christians, evangelical Christians, are trying to change the culture, trying to ban gay marriage, they're trying to you know, block access to abortion, etc., etc. Well, it turns out that some of those guys, the so-called dominionists or reconstructionists, the people who are looking to build basically an America that's, you know, based on Moses' tablets, based on, you know, Deuteronomy yeah. or whatever, right. that actually they are in huge conflict with many of these apocalyptic Christians. They get really angry, the reconstructionists and the dominionists, at the apocalyptic Christians, no. because they think if you believe in the apocalypse, why would you bother trying to change America? Exactly. You know, why would you try and change the law on gay marriage? It's senseless, because the Antichrist is coming. So there's actually quite a lot of tension between those two groups, and I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong to be scared by or concerned about the religious right, but it is important, I think, from a liberal perspective to know that there are big divisions mm. between, you know, these groups within the religious right, and they just don't get on. And that's one of the funny things, like the nastiest I heard them get, the, folk, the people I spoke to, the apocalyptic Christians, was about one another, which I guess is kind of weird. <laughs> well, I think that some of that has to do with that there's a tremendous amount of political juice on their side right now, and I'm sure that there's an awful lot of sort of, uh, it's mine and not yours. Uh, yeah, they're dividing the spoils. I think you're totally right, and, yeah. I, and I got the sense of that. But there's also a big question, which is, and this is something I asked Tim LaHaye, and I talk about this a bit. I've got a whole chapter about him based on my meeting him, but also mm -hmm. on the stuff he's written for the last 30 years, because he is an interesting guy. And, I mean, you know, obviously yeah. I don't agree at all with his theology or his politics, but, you know, I mean, he's certainly an interesting figure to speak to and to think about. The big question I had for him, which he never really answered, is, I mean, he's gone off and done this political work on, like, you know, gay marriage or on abortion, or he's pushing that kind of agenda. So I just said to him, you know, why are you doing this if you believe that the world is coming to an end? Why get involved in politics at all if, in a way, the Antichrist's rise is certain, you know, the tribulation's coming? Why not just withdraw completely from politics, which incidentally is what these evangelicals used to do before the 60s and the 70s. They were never involved in politics. Why get involved? And he never really gave me a straight answer, but from some of his recent books, I've pretty much figured out that Tim LaHaye's saying, well, we can kind of postpone the arrival of the Antichrist if 
we get together now and we, you know, debate the stuff on gay marriage or we can fight late-term abortions or whatever else, we can prevent the Antichrist from rising for 10 or 15 years. And, you know, LaHaye says Reagan did that. You know, Reagan put off the rise of the Antichrist by 10 years. Right. So he's trying to have it both ways. Others of these guys are politically involved, not domestically, but on foreign policy. So this guy I met, John Hagee in San Antonio, big pastor, mega church pastor. He's just founded a political organization to put pressure on the government, in effect, to bomb Iran and defend Israel unconditionally. Now, he is a scary dude. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a very different perspective. Let me that, say, though, before you uh, say yeah, that, yeah, yeah. we're speaking with Nicholas Gayat, yeah. and the book is Have a Nice Doomsday. Now, you have a different no, perspective. No, I just have a different perspective on that. And <clears throat> tell me, um, if you've encountered any of these people, which is that in some way they are engaged in these political battles <clears throat> In order to bring it on, this is sort of a George Bush approach approach to the to the uh, to the end of the world. In other words, they're bringing these political fights uh, to uh, into their their the domestic realm in order to what they know will be to battle what their version of the Antichrist is today to bring about this sort of setting for the the coming uh, of, of the second coming of Christ. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think my sense is, I'm not sure, I can see where you're coming from with that. My interpretation would be, it's very hard if you're an evangelical Christian not to get involved in these domestic issues. Yeah. So there's a kind of tension between the expectations of your flock, which is that you will have this conservative social agenda, and your theology's priorities, which are actually overseas. I mean, the one thing that John Hagee, uh, again, this very, very big, uh, very important uh, Texas megachurch pastor, the one thing he's been doing in the past two years, above all else, is, you know, not agitating on immigration or, you know, gay rights or these other things that other Christians are working on, but trying to get the U.S. government to agree that Ahmadinejad needs to be bombed, needs mm. to be preempted. And yeah. uh, he's founded this huge organization. I mean, they've had these massive conferences in D.C. the past two years called Christians United for Israel. Yeah. And it's effectively a, a kind of Christian version of APAC the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, and so it's agitating to attack Iran and to defend Israel. And so that's become his focus. And from my perspective, I mean, you know, someone outside the U.S. now, I think that's something that people inside the U.S. need to know about, because you, know, you have a right to know who's making decisions about your foreign policy and what they're based on. And I think basing it on the book of Ezekiel is not a, not a good move. No. So no would you say that John Hagee is one of the most dangerous men in America right now? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to some extent, I would. I mean, I think the thing about Hagee, Hagee's a smart guy. I mean, Hagee was smart enough not to talk to me at length. I mean, that, that would be, you know, <laughs> someone like Tim LaHaye, I think, has got this kind of, well, he's almost like a sort of honorary status, right? He's sort mm -hmm. of prophecy guy emeritus almost. Hagee's still out there really working this stuff, and uh, I think he's very shrewd. I think he's got in bed with some interesting people, metaphorically speaking, of course, uh -huh. um, including some of these right-wing Republican commentators who actually, to my mind, make very poor apocalyptic Christians. I mean, you know, the, the, the two guys, uh, Hagee and on the other hand, this guy called Joel Rosenberg, who's a, a prophecy novelist who lives in Washington, they've basically got themselves onto CNN, they've got themselves onto Fox, they've gone to talk to Sean Hannity, to Glenn Beck, to Rush Limbaugh, uh, I mean, this guy, Rosenberg in D.C., actually used to work for Hannity and used to work for Limbaugh. So weirdly, you have the voice of these apocalyptic Christians amplified by these CNN or Fox conservative commentators who have these guys on the show to talk about Iran. And they're not even, they're not even mentioned as apocalyptic Christians often. It's like, let's have a Middle East expert, John Hagee, you yeah, know, that's... talk about Iran. Well, you know, he knows about Iran because he's read the book of Ezekiel. It's madness. It is. It's, it's so dishonest. And... That, that is one of the real big problems. It, and you've, you're highlighting something which I don't think a lot of Americans know, 
which is that APAC, which you just identified as the um, um, American American Israel, Israel Public Affairs Committee, yes, was very powerful uh, lobbying um, uh, group within Washington D.C. Tremendous impact on foreign policy, particularly when it comes to obviously Israel in the Middle East. Uh, but much of the support that they receive is not from American Jews, but of good percentage, a high percentage of the support comes from evangelical Christians who, as you were describing, have this vision of Israel and, and its relationship to the Bible and, and all. So it's something I don't think people know. We, um, well, I mean, I think if, if you're a huge Zionist, I mean, I'm, you know, speaking personally, yeah. I'm not a huge Zionist, but I mean, if you were a huge Zionist and you believed fervently in Israel's, you know, right to do what it liked in the Middle East, you can make that case in a secular way and in a political way, and then at least we can kind of have a conversation. The problem, I think, or the scary thing is that some diehard supporters of Israel have now kind of welcomed these Christian Zionists. And I mean, the reason that's bad is the story doesn't end well for Jews. I was just going to say... San Antonio put it that way. He said, you know, my problem supporting Hagee is we don't come out of this very well. At the end of this, as Jews, we are wiped out. You know, that's that's the end of day's vision of someone like John Hagee. So why are we getting into bed with this guy now politically? And um, that's what scares me a little bit, that you have, I guess, on the Republican right, but also in some more secular Jewish circles, this sense that Christian apocalyptic, you know, apocalyptic Zionists, Christian Zionists are okay because you have a short-term shared interest with them politically. Right. I think that's a really scary equation politically, because in the long run, you don't really have much in common with these guys at all. Right, right. And they're, I mean, let's say it, they're anti-Semitic, many of them. Not, I'm not going to say they all are, but a lot of them... Well, are... well, not John Hagee. I mean, that's the thing. Like I mentioned earlier, this yeah. thing called replacement theology. I mean, that's very anti-Semitic, obviously, the idea that the Jews were kind of locked out of the Bible after they supposedly rejected Christ. Hagee loves Jews, goes around saying constantly, I love Jews, I love all things Jewish. They have these kind of Jewish variety shows called A Night to Honor Israel in Christian churches. The bizarre thing, though, is that they love Jews because they see them as past and future Christian. Right. All Christians came from a Jewish tradition. All, all Jews are going to be Christians. Jesus the was a Jew. So it's a very selective <laughs> kind of, you know, philo-Semitism or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Do you think that John Hagee has uh, the ear of Dick Cheney? Do you think that maybe when Cheney met in an indis- undisclosed dis- location last week that, that perhaps uh, Mr. Hagee was there? Yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the more powerful evangelical leaders. Mm. I mean, when he goes to D.C., when Hagee goes to D.C., he keeps some of this apocalypse stuff under wraps. But, you know, everything that he's written, all of his books, um, you know, the past five or ten years, they're virtually all about the apocalypse, and they all tie very closely politics to his vision of prophecy. So I think Hagee's smart enough not to sound off about the book of Ezekiel when he's presiding over this, you know, embassy of 6,000 Christians in Washington that goes to see every senator and every congressional representative. I'm sure the same when they go to Cheney or anyone else in power. They're clever enough not to let on there and then what they're standing for, but it's kind of like a code almost, right? Like nobody actually wants to say in Washington, well, this is all about prophecy, isn't it? But everyone knows behind the scenes that that's what's driving it, and that's what's so scary. Usually at this time in the interview, near the end, we ask someone to end on a positive note or to to uplift us. But it doesn't seem like there is one in this story. We're talking about doomsday. Is there, do you think we'll be able to defeat the forces of doomsday? I want to reframe that slightly, just real quick. And that is, (laughs) 
Is this an inevitable war against Iran? And if we can't avoid well, that, are we going to get out of the? Are we going to miss yeah, the right. doomsday? It's not in scripture. The whole scripture stuff's crazy. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says there's going to be a war with Iran. It's madness. In terms of being positive or hopeful, I mean, one of the things I came away with was a slight optimism because not everybody in this community believes with John Hagee that that's the right way to go. That you need to go to D.C. That you need to speed this stuff up. I mean, I met quite a lot of people I described as being kind of sweet almost, to a kind of just hunkering down in their houses and see this as a very personal thing. So, I mean, my, my parting shot, I guess, would be to say we shouldn't tar all these people or imagine that everybody who's, you know, kind of seduced by this very, very big stuff actually is a scary, kind of politically frightening. There are some, and we need to identify those, but some of them are just, you know, I mean, this has become their lives and they believe in this stuff, but they're pr- pretty harmless. Well, Nicholas Gayant, I want to thank you very much for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is Have a Nice Doomsday, Why Millions of Americans Are Looking Forward to the End of the World. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings, and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.